Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for me, Pastor Eric, or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email me at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Today on our podcast, we hear our sermon from this weekend, the fourth Sunday of Epiphany, where we begin our Transformed World series, where we explore how Jesus through the Holy Spirit transforms the world. Our scripture for today is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes south from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit down with him. This is a passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. Well, I don't know what type of town you grew up in or what type of city you grew up in, but I grew up in a small town, one of those towns where time just stands still. You see, when I went to school, I learned about the great melting pot of the United States and how people from all over the world came together to form and create and be a part of this great nation. But in my town... It was just a bunch of German people all living together. You see, the world hadn't quite caught up to us yet, I guess. But it started with a bunch of people from Germany. They ran away, or they're fearing the war. They migrated to Russia. 
And once they got into Russia, that wasn't quite working out for them. And so they ended up in the United States. And over time, they ended up in Minnesota. And over time, they ended up in my hometown. And they formed in the late 1800s a little tiny town of all German people. Now, fast forward about 100 years. I was born and living in this tiny little German town. And I have a lot of unique memories. And what I remember as a little kid was being in restaurants or being in the stores or just being around town. And a hundred years after the fact, in the, in the middle 80s, 1980s, not 1880s, people were still speaking German to one another. That's how much time had stood still in my little hometown. Now, fast forward 10 years into my life. I was about 10 years old, 12 years old. All of a sudden, my town rapidly changed. And the reason it rapidly changed, because once again, another group of people were experiencing war, and they ran from their country, and they migrated to the United States. And then they found their way into Minnesota and into my tiny little town. And it seemed like overnight, we went from 100% white German people with one Swedish guy, the last name Anderson, and all of a sudden, it was 85% white people and 15% Laotian. Because these people had left Laos because there was a lot of war going on there. And they ended up in my hometown because they thought it was a good place to live. Now, as you can imagine, when that happened, there was a lot of change. And with change comes a lot of fear. And I remember as a little kid seeing these changes and hearing the adults talk. And they would say, I've heard that they're going to put a Buddhist temple in here. I've heard that there's gangs. I've heard that there's crime. And they would have a lot of these fears come up in their conversation because the culture was changing so rapidly. Well, as we step into the scripture today, we're going to actually see a piece of history, the starting of the church, where they too were running and migrating because there was war and persecution breaking out. You see, when Jesus left the disciples, the then apostles, the messengers, he said this statement. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, at this point in time, they had gotten to Jerusalem and they had grown the church because people were being added daily. And the church was just growing at a rapid pace because healthy things grow and the church was healthy and it was growing and growing and growing. And people were connecting with Christ. They were connecting with this truth. Their life was being transformed and more and more people wanted to get on board. Not only that, but they had this amazing social system within this group where they were giving of themselves and giving of their resources to help everyone. And it says in the book of Acts that there was no one who was poor and there was no one who was hungry because people were so generous within this tight-knit community of faith. Well, all of a sudden, something was about to change. Something was going to actually drive them out of Jerusalem because why would you leave if everything was going so well? Well, persecution broke out. And people were getting arrested. People started getting beaten for their faith. And ultimately, people would even die for their faith in Jerusalem. And so we're told that when that happened, they did what all of us would do. If a war broke out in our area, they ran. Because they care for the families, and they care for themselves, and they got out of there. And where did they go? Exactly where Jesus said they would go. They went to Judea and Samaria. And that's where we pick up this piece of history tonight in Acts 8. And this is what we see. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up, 
and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. Now, if you remember, last week when we were going through Acts 6, we ran into a little snafu the church was experiencing. Because it was growing so rapidly, the disciples could not manage the social system and taking care of the widows, and so it was creating a tension. And so they got some people together who were passionate about it and skilled, and they put them to the task. And we don't know exactly what happened, but I'm assuming they did really well and really took care of it. Well, one of those people was this guy that we're running into tonight, and his name was Philip. Well, as the migration happened, as they ran from the persecution, Philip became kind of a superstar in Samaria. And he began to preach and teach, and the church was growing. It was healthy, and so people were flocking to hear Philip preach. And he was changing lives. He was transforming lives. People were receiving Christ, getting connected with Christ. And the church, once again, was, was booming. And a lot of it was how God was using Philip to share the message. Well, in the midst of this, God says to Philip, I want you to leave Samaria. I want you to leave this church. I want you to leave all this that you have built through my power. And I want you to go south to Gaza. I want you to go about 50 miles from here to a place that we describe as wilderness, which means there is no one there. Now, Philip is human. Philip is just like us. He's no one special. He's just a normal guy. And so when God tells him this, I want you to leave the height of your popularity and the height of your, of your work and all this great thing that's happening, and I want you to go where no one is, you know what he's thinking. This makes no sense. The church is still growing. The church is still booming. If I leave, it's all going to fall apart, or at least it's not going to work as well. Why would I go into the middle of nowhere? See, what Philip would be thinking is this is not the plan that's going to work. God, this is not the strategy that you can possibly have. You must be confused because this is not the best for the church and this is not the best for me. But despite those thoughts that he more than likely had, this is how he responded. So he got up and went. Now he had every reason to say no. And if it was us, maybe we would have said no. Maybe we would have said yes. But logically, it's a little bit confusing. I mean, he's leading this massive church. It's growing. It's healthy. It's vibrant. It's thriving. More and more people are being added all the time. God tells him to go into the middle of nowhere. But he just listens. And as I read this, I thought about my life. And probably you're thinking about your life. In those moments when God has told you to do something that didn't quite make sense. God asked you to move in a direction or have a conversation or do something that was uncomfortable or awkward or it seemed like just the bad path, like it wasn't going to come up with the great solution. But Philip, despite all those feelings, he goes. And this is what transpires. Now, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians in charge of her entire treasury. So we run into this guy, and we learn a little bit about him. We learn that he's Ethiopian, which is about 1,600 miles south of where this interaction takes place. We learn that he's probably pretty educated, or at least he's pretty smart. He's very close to the queen, so he's high standing. And he's watching over the entire treasury, which is a massive, massive big deal. 
So this is a big deal guy. But when Philip sees him from afar, and he doesn't know anything about him, all he sees is what he looks like. Now, a guy from Ethiopia would be look very different than a guy from Jerusalem. See, he would look different, he would act different, and he would sound different. Now, we learn a couple other things about this guy. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So we also see that for whatever reason or whatever transpired to get him here, that this guy all the way from Ethiopia, 1,600 miles away, somehow had connected with or learned about the Jewish faith. And so he was either intrigued enough or had bought in enough or had hybrided this this relationship or this religion with his current religion that he decided to travel all the way to Jerusalem where the temple was and engage in the worship. And not only that, but he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, once again, the only reason we have this written down, the only reason we have all these details about this guy is because Philip, spoiler alert, talks to him. Because Philip finds all this stuff out about this man. This is the only reason we have these details, because when Philip sees him, all he sees is what he looks like. And he makes a couple assumptions. He makes a couple assessments. He looks different, he's going to act different, and he's going to talk different. He might not even speak my language is probably the thoughts that Philip is having before he actually engages with this guy. But despite that, this is what happens. The spirit said to Philip, go over to his chariot and join it. So God has moved him this far and Philip's thinking, well, I guess so far so good. It doesn't make sense. Even if I talk to him, I'm probably not going to speak his language. And I'm a little bit nervous about approaching this guy. Because what if he misunderstands why I'm going to him? And what if he views it as a threat? And what if he engages me in a negative way? What then? But despite those fears, despite all those thoughts, despite all the reasons that he should not engage with this man, this is what he does. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now, this is probably not the approach I would take. I don't tend to run at strangers because that freaks people out. But that's what Philip did. I think because he was just so excited to listen to God. He was so excited to do what God wanted him to do. So what does he do? He runs at this guy, which honestly probably made this guy a little bit nervous. When someone who doesn't look like you, act like you, sound like you, starts sprinting at you, it's just natural to get a little bit scared. But when Philip approaches, he finds out that they have something in common because this man is reading a section of the Old Testament. He's reading a section that's directly connected to Philip's faith. And so what does it say? He says, do you understand this? Do you understand what you're reading? Do you want to engage in a conversation over this commonality that we have? Because I know a little bit about this, and I want to talk to you about this. So this is what happens. He replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. You see, Philip didn't force his faith on him. He didn't engage him. He wasn't hostile towards him. He just simply said, do you understand? 
We have this thing in common. Do you understand? Do you want to have this conversation? The guy says, yes. Let's talk about this. If you have some sort of special knowledge, I would love to engage with you in this conversation. I'd love to hear your take on it. I would love to see if you have some answers. And so that's exactly what happens. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. You see, the section that this man was reading was from Isaiah, the prophet. It's a prediction. It's a prediction about Jesus. It's a prediction about how Jesus will act and how he will engage and how people will engage with him while he's on the earth. A prediction made 700 years before Christ went to the cross, was suffered on the cross, was humiliated on the cross, and ascended into heaven. All these predictions came true, and Philip had the opportunity to clarify this for this man. So that's what he does. So the eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? So of course the guy wants to know. I'm reading this. I don't understand this. If you have some special knowledge, please, please tell me because I'm ready and I'm willing and I want to hear. So Philip responds. Then Philip began to speak and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news of Jesus. So Philip engages in the conversation. He takes the risk. He has the conversation and then he uses what they have in common and starts painting the picture of Christ. So he uses the scripture. He uses the understanding that this man has been to Jerusalem. He has been to the temple. And then he starts connecting the dots for him. He says, you've read the scripture. This is about Jesus. Now let me tell you about Jesus. You've heard about Abraham. You've been to the temple. You know a little bit about this idea of Judaism. Abraham was given the old covenant. Abraham was given a promise. And through this promise to Abraham, it said that he would bless the whole world. Well, Jesus, he's that blessing. Jesus is that blessing. And when you were in Jerusalem, you went to the temple. And the temple is the place where we meet God. This is where God's presence is through the Ark of the Covenant. And God comes down and we interact with God at the temple. Well, Jesus is God. Jesus templed among us. He lived among us. He loved us so much that he actually came in flesh walked among us, showed us how to live, and then died for us. And you saw the sacrificial system. You heard the animals. You saw them around. You saw people buying them and bringing them in. You saw the sacrifices. Well, Jesus is a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He was the sacrifice that ended the sacrificial system because he was the perfect sacrifice that all these sacrifices were meant to point towards. And he said, you've seen circumcision. You've seen the mark. That was the connection to the old covenant. Well, in the new covenant, there's a new mark, and it's baptism. And when we're baptized, we are marked as one of Christ's followers, and we find out, and we learn, and we have this physical manifestation so that we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt of who we are and whose we are. So this is what happens. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. 
What is to prevent me from being baptized? You see, Philip was so clear. Philip was so good at connecting the dots. Philip took the risk, engaged this guy, had the conversation, found out the commonalities, and then clarified the whole picture and let this guy understand all the way to even baptism. And so naturally, when the guy sees water, what does he do? I want in. I want in this faith. I want the completion of this faith. I want to be a part of Christ's family. And so Philip, of course, says, no. No, he says, yes. This is what happens. He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Philip connected this man to the family of faith. Philip, who had every reason not to go on this journey, Philip, who had so many responsibilities in Samaria, Philip, who was doing so many good things where he was, listens to the God, takes the risk, goes on this road where no one is supposed to be, engages with this man, has a conversation, finds the commonality, explains the faith to him, and the guy responds by receiving Christ as his Lord and is painted with baptism and brought into the community of faith. Well, this is how this passage closes. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So Philip goes on, listens to God again, goes in a different direction, but the man who has recently received the blessings of God, he's celebrating. And he celebrates all the way back 1,600 miles to Ethiopia. You know what the Ethiopian Christian church says their origin story is? A man wandering around Gaza, sitting in a chariot, who engaged with this man named Philip. They had a conversation about Christ. And then this man took that faith 1,600 miles to Ethiopia, where he told people about Jesus. So here's the last piece of scripture. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. See, Philip was not done. He was going to keep going until the promise that Christ had made was fulfilled, that this faith was going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, this is the truth that we see in this piece of history. This is the truth that we see in this section of Scripture. And it's this. Migration creates missionaries. Isn't that what we see here? The persecution breaks out. And what happens to the Christians? They move from their comfortable place in Jerusalem, where all their needs are taken care of. There's solid preaching. People are still growing in the faith. The persecution breaks out, and they go exactly where Christ said they would go. They go to Judea and Samaria. What happens with Philip? God tells him, I want you to leave Samaria where you're comfortable, and I want you to go down to Gaza. Little did Philip know, he was going to engage with a man that he had no business talking to, that he should never run into, that he should never have a conversation with, who was going to take that message all the way back to his home in Ethiopia and share that message. See, I grew up in a town of all German people, and we had some churches of all German people. The church that I went to 
the title, one of the words in the title of our church was literally the word missionary. So we celebrated missionaries. We celebrated missionaries. We took a lot of our budget, our church budget, and we sent it overseas to support and care for our missionaries so they could take this message all around the world. In fact, I remember when I was a little kid, one month every year, our missionaries would come back and they would do the sermons and they would do the services and they would do our Sunday schools and they would talk about what they were doing. We could ask them questions. We'd even had special evening services so we could engage with our missionaries. The problem was we didn't want to be missionaries. We wanted missionaries, but we didn't want to be missionaries. You see, when our culture shifted, when the ends of the earth actually showed up at our doorstep, that was a little bit uncomfortable. That was a little bit scary. And so we talked about it, but we didn't do anything about it. You see, our world is shifting. And God's promises always come true. But it's not always the way that we think it's going to come true. You see, he made us a promise. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we've sent missionaries all over the world, not just as a church at New Life, but the church in general has sent missionaries all over the world. But there's something interesting happening, something changing in our culture. You see, the ends of the earth, they're coming to us. Whether it's war or opportunity or whatever's driving them, they're showing up in our towns in our businesses, in our schools, in the house right next to us. And God is saying, will you be a little bit uncomfortable for me? Will you take a risk, find a commonality, have a conversation, and share your faith with people who've never heard the name of Jesus in their entire life?